What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Monday, May 17th. I'm Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed, in for Akil Hughes. And I'm Gideon Rezek, and this is What a Day, where we hope the IRS accepts tax returns that are written in crayon. I just stole one of my daughter's scented magic markers, cinnamon, to mix things up. Yeah. You know, they have boring jobs, and we want to give them a treat. That's, that's just what it is. On today's show, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed joins us yet again. It is always a pleasure to have you, my friend. Welcome back. You know, the privilege is always mine. And I uh, I have to say, now that I've done this two weeks in a row on Mondays, I just feel like Monday's my day. And, um, you know, I know the folks would rather listen to Akila, but like, you know, I, f- I feel like I, you know, Monday's mine. Um, and Akila, we can, we can have a whole conversation about it. I'm not wading into this fight, but I look forward to its resolution peacefully. Um, Obviously, he is an epidemiologist, physician, and former Detroit health commissioner, as you know. Plus, he's the host of America Dissected, where the latest episode is actually all about the CDC's new relaxation on mask wearing for vaccinated people. So let's get right into that. Were you expecting an announcement like this from the CDC at this point in the vaccination campaign? Gideon, when I tell you that nobody, and I mean nobody saw this coming, I am not exaggerating. Just last week, in fact, wow. Dr. Fauci was talking about people having to wear masks regularly every winter. So we went from seasonal masking to no masking. And so that's about as big of, of an about face as you'll ever see from an institution like the CDC. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that was sort of caught off guard by it. And, and to that point, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky reportedly approved of this decision to actually update the guidance Before the announcement that we all got and before her testimony to the Senate, she tried to address how this all came to be on the Sunday shows yesterday. And here she is on ABC's This Week talking about the recent science from the past two weeks on the effectiveness of the vaccine. Some of that science was really evolving as late as last Thursday. And one of the published, one of the papers, the largest paper was published from the CDC just the day before yesterday. So we were actively reviewing that science during the past week. We were making decisions and moving, moving and our subject matter experts were working just as I was testifying in front of Congress. And those, that was what was happening. I told the American people I'd deliver the science as soon as we had it. So to that point, what do you think of how this all came to be? Well, to Dr. Walensky's point, the paper that she's referencing is a 33-site study that was published on Friday, actually, uh, the day after these uh, new guidelines had been had had, had been issued, and um, it is new science. But the evidence had been accumulating for some time, and I'll be honest, it's kind of just the latest in a series of communication missteps around how we get the science out into the public. And Mm. communicating science is really hard. And sometimes the thing about it is that new science can come uh, out that fundamentally changes our directions. But because of the fact that this has been uh, an accumulating consensus with time, I would have loved to see some foreshadowing from the CDC, in particular given that they had been uh, really slow to, uh, to, to meet the science 
uh, in this moment. And so uh, to to go from where we had been just a week ago to where we are now when the speed that we've had it without any foreshadowing, I think it's caused a lot of whiplash for folks. And uh, it tends to shake a bit of trust uh, in the institutions that people need most right now. Yeah, I think whiplash is a great word for everything in the last couple of days. And, you know, all the federal health officials are saying there was no outside pressure that was involved. We understand that this was based on the science that they had, as Valencia was describing, as you were just talking about. But are they not under any kind of pressure to provide more incentives to get people vaccinated at this point? You're absolutely right. The The evidence has been on its way for some time. And this decision from the CDC is certainly evidence driven. At the same time, there's a much wider berth for policy than uh, the evidence itself, right? One, two, two experts can look at the same evidence uh, and come to very different policy recommendations from that evidence. And what you're seeing here is the CDC uh, moving from a very conservative uh, approach to the evidence to uh, really um, going all the way in terms of engaging with the degree to which um, you are stripping down the kinds of pandemic-related protections that we've all become very accustomed to over the past year and a half. That being said, the point that you made about incentives is really critical. The biggest, most challenging problem in public health right now is how do you get the vaccine holdouts to finally decide to go on and get vaccinated? And this is about creating an incentive for those folks. If they can go maskless, well, then uh, they may have an incentive to do that. And I think the part that's not being said here is that while the CDC is not going to be engaging in any, any vaccine verification, because they have created this step where only vaccinated people are allowed to go maskless, there has to be some sort of vaccine verification. And I think they're yeah. relying upon a lot of private institutions, whether it's an employer or a restaurant uh, or a theme park or um, an event that you might want to go to. Those They're relying on those institutions to start putting up vaccine verification barriers for people who are choosing uh, to, to go uh, unvaccinated and that those institutions collectively are going to be putting forward that incentive. But of course, it could backfire. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. And we started to see a little bit of what the response looked like to this. So a number of major retailers like Walmart began dropping mass mandates based on a sort of uh, honor system, I guess that's how it's going to be there. Others are sort of on the fence or they're keeping their mandates for now. What is the impact of that if there are just different sets of rules in different kinds of settings for people? Well, Gideon, this is exactly how these kinds of policies can backfire. Let's not forget there are a lot of people who still can't be vaccinated. I think about my own daughter. She's three years old and we went out to an outdoor market uh, over the weekend and I had to sit down with her and tell her, look, um, I know in the past everybody's been masking, but um, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who are not wearing their masks mm. because they've had vaccines. And she said, well, I've had a shot. And you're like, well, you haven't had a shot for <laughs> this. And, right. um, and it reminds you that there are people who can't uh, get these vaccines and we have a responsibility to protect them. And so um, if you are going by the honor system, it does create a circumstance where you have people uh, who may be uh, uh, transmitting this virus because they are unvaccinated. Um, circling among other folks who uh, who are also unvaccinated. And um, right. that can create a real problem. And so uh, it really is critical that we think about folks who uh, remain unvaccinated or for whom the uh, vaccines are, are uh, not yet uh, approved or for whom vaccines are just not as effective because uh, they may have um, 
immunodeficiencies for other reasons. And, um, and I think that we have a responsibility to make sure uh, that we are following these kinds of CDC guidelines that may create space uh, for transmission, uh, following them to the T, um, at least. Yeah. And let's just like get to the brass tacks here. Abdul, you are vaccinated. What are you going to be doing about wearing a mask yourself? Like walk me through a couple of different scenarios. Yeah. So let's say I'm not with my three-year-old daughter for whom I'm trying to model good behavior. Uh, (laughs) If I'm outdoors, I'm going to go without my mask. There's really good evidence uh, that is achieved consensus at this point that the risk of getting uh, a a, a transmission, particularly if you're vaccinated outdoors, is minimal. Indoors, I would likely still be wearing my mask um, just because uh, I think it is important to sustain that norm right now, um, simply because uh, in a lot of communities, the vaccination rates are, are still quite low um, and yeah. out of respect for people who need to wear their mask. Uh, and because I know that um, there are folks who are going to try and uh, bully folks who continue to wear their mask uh, indoors. Now, if I'm with my daughter, um, I'm probably going to be wearing a mask in all the places that she needs to wear a mask. I think I'd be a little bit mm. more comfortable if we were outdoors. Um, I'd be less comfortable if we were in a really, really busy, bustling space. Um, and if I'm going to ask her to wear her mask, I'm going to wear my mask just because I think that's what being a good dad is about. Yeah, that is great advice, I think, for everybody to sort of figure out what they are doing in their daily lives. And this is all part of a conversation about, uh, you know, how officials have communicated guidance during the pandemic. And this also came up in tomorrow's new episode of America Dissected as well, where you interviewed Dr. Sanjay Gupta. So let's listen to a clip from that. Dr. Fauci actually pointed this out to me. There was some poll that was done that he was a bit disheartened by, but I thought it was instructive. And the poll basically said that uh, that the general public is increasingly finding medical people, scientists, uh, arrogant, mm. increasingly arrogant, um, which I thought was a, again, disheartening, but an important note. Um, what does being open to letting people in on the process and saying, we're not sure yet, but we're going to act cautious here. What does that do? Um, it's less didactic, um, but also perhaps less arrogant. And fundamentally, I think people do appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, Abdul, what do you think medical professionals should learn about how to talk to patients and the public during a pandemic like this? You know, I think in the past, there was a difference in the way that we would speak to patients or loved ones and the way we'd speak to the public. And I think the pandemic has taught us that, in fact, we have to speak one in the same way to the public as we speak with our patients and our loved ones. And I think uh, there is an approach when you're listening to a human being who you can look in the eyes that forces you to acknowledge where that person is coming from and try and meet them where they are to bring them to where uh, you hope that they can come for what's good for their health. And I think sometimes when it came to the public, we just assumed that there was a certain level of authority that medical professionals had to speak on these things without taking the time to empathize and appreciate where people are. And I think uh, this moment has really changed that, I think for the better. And I hope um, that we're no longer sort of speaking down to people from a place of authority, assuming that, you know, uh, we know best, but rather trying to take the time to listen, understand and reason with folks. Um, and, you know, and, and, and sort of open the situation up um, and help them to make great decisions for themselves by not just telling them what the answer is, but showing them how the answer came about. Yeah, I hope that that is a lesson that's taken from this. And on a slightly different note, one last thing to talk about in the global fight against COVID, it's become an issue when it comes to Israel and Palestine. UN officials have warned that the airstrikes on Gaza could actually worsen the pandemic there as vaccinations and testing slow or halt entirely. 
So this is a lot to cover, but can you talk about these two crises overlapping? You know, one of the things that we just spent the better part of, of, of 10 minutes talking about is how our behaviors affect other people and how their behaviors affect us. And mm -hmm. one of the things I hope that we recognize from this pandemic is how interconnected we are. This is a global pandemic. And public health is all about the setup. It's all about the infrastructure. And when those things are lost or worse, destroyed, it has serious implications for people. And I think the underlying issue here is the dehumanization of people that allows other people to destroy that infrastructure that's so critical to their health. And it's sad to see that happening right now in Gaza. But we've right. also seen that before, right? This isn't the first time we saw that kind of dehumanization um, by the Israeli government in, uh, the, in the decision to, to vaccinate the public. There was a decision uh, not to vaccinate occupied territories. And per international right. law, there's a responsibility to provide medical care. And, you know, per, per all of our agreed upon morals, uh, it's absolutely critical to provide people the means of being able to protect themselves from a global pandemic. But that decision was made uh, and kept people from getting uh, the vaccines that they so sorely needed. And now um, in, in the context of uh, these bombings, we're seeing uh, the destruction of that same infrastructure that is catching up uh, to be able to vaccinate folks. And so it really reminds right. us that we have to be in this together. And that core, um, th these morals that allow us to see one another as human beings uh, and to respect the needs that we all share, um, I think have to be remembered in these moments, because if not, it doesn't just hurt the people um, who we're forgetting about. It hurts us all. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, again, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you know, we know and love America Dissected, but where else can people find what you are up to? You are up to a lot, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it's always a privilege to be with you. I hope folks will check out my newsletter, The Incision. It's at incision.substack.com. I'll be writing a little bit more about the CDC's new guidelines uh, in my post on Tuesday. So I hope folks will check it out. Yeah, we will link to it in our show notes, but that is the latest for now. It's Monday Wad Squad, and for today's temp check, we are talking about drinking ale for the good of the country. So, an English finance firm just published estimates of how much beer every UK resident would need to drink this year to make up for huge pandemic-related losses of income among pubs. Here are the mind-boggling stats. So each person would have to drink 124 pints of beer or 122 glasses of wine. Alternatively, British people who don't drink alcohol could eat 976 packets of crisps, a.k.a. potato chips for us Americans, or 40 roast dinners. So, Abdul, obviously, this is an important cause. If you lived in England, how would you choose to fulfill your patriotic duty? Well, I am an epidemiologist, and I did uh, do my graduate education in England. And I have to tell you, roast dinner is fantastic. So I would take the, oh. the roast dinners. There's this thing called... Yorkshire puddings, which are, by the way, not mm -hmm. puddings and not pronounced Yorkshire, um, <laughs> which I learned uh, based on the, the look that my, my, my English hosts shot me the first time I got to have <laughs> a, uh, a roast dinner. Um, but, but they're like these, these, these little cups made out of um, phyllo dough, and uh, they're filled with gravy, and they're, they're delightful. Um, so I'm picking the roast dinners, and if you play it out over a year, right, that's like, that's like 
two out of three weekends you're getting uh, a a roast dinner. So I just think yeah. that sounds lovely. And you know, on top of that, I'm, I'm sort of a teetotaling uh, Muslim guy. So um, <laughs> the pints and the glasses of wine are sort of off the table. So you know what? I'm I'm having my roast dinner. How about you? I respect the hell out of that choice and the lovely description of the dinner. I saw a picture of this uh, on the Wikipedia page. They did not use the nicest picture that they could have for this dinner. It was the meat was looking a little lackluster. So I really I the the I I've maybe I've maybe had my mind changed by that response. I was going to say the crisps um cuz I think I want the challenge aspect of this, right? And 976 is an absurd amount of anything. Um that would be my math is really bad, but we're talking close to between two and three bags a day. Um, so I like the challenge aspect of that myself. I haven't really thought about the consequences of what would happen afterwards, but if I were going to go for the sensible option here, I think it is the roast dinners. So, um, I might, I might be seeing you at dinner is what I'm saying. Hey, you know, I would love to have that roast dinner with you. UK, invite us in to eat all of your roast dinners, please. We will not disappoint you. <laughs> but just like that, we have checked our tips. Stay safe. Uh, meet the challenges of the local economy where you live responsibly, I guess. And we'll be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, everyone's (laughs) getting flowers. (laughs) Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Israel conducted its deadliest airstrike in Gaza over the weekend as international pressure for a ceasefire continues to grow. At least 42 Palestinians were killed on Sunday, the highest single-day death toll in Gaza since the violence began last week. The executive editor of the Associated Press is calling for an independent investigation after Israel bombed a 12-story tower, home to the AP, Al Jazeera, and other foreign news organizations. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu defended the bombing on CBS's Face the Nation, claiming that the building housed Hamas operations without providing extra details or evidence. President Biden spoke with Netanyahu and Palestinian National Authority President Mahmoud Abbas over the weekend, reportedly reaffirming his support for Israel. The United States ambassador for the UN said the U.S. was prepared to support a ceasefire if both parties seek it. This is the time that we need American leadership, and I'd love to see yes. uh, some real leadership out of the administration. Following up with the failed unionization vote at the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama this year, employees are now alleging that the company had access to a mailbox where they were encouraged to cast their ballots. At a hearing before the National Labor Relations Board last Friday, a warehouse worker testified that he and others saw Amazon security guards unlocking and going through the mailbox multiple times. It's possible that they were just looking for Valentine's, but either way, it looks bad. (laughs) Amazon has claimed that only USPS could access the box. Union leaders criticized the company for pushing to install the mailbox on site, accusing Amazon of using it to surveil workers and implied that the company controlled the mechanics of the election. Amazon is set to testify before the NLRB next week to counter accusations that it illegally interfered with the vote. I'm sure they will be on the up and up. Uh, In California, the gubernatorial recall election for Gavin Newsom is delivering on its promise of California-sized hijinks, with one Republican businessman running as the guy who shows up to events with a live bear. Here's one campaign ad from John Cox based on his campaign's general theme of wild animals. We need big beastly changes in Sacramento. I'll make them. Recall the beauty. Meet the nicest, smartest beast in California, John Cox. Okay, totally normal stuff there. You did hear a 1,000-pound bear roaring in that clip, but what you missed was the visual of Cox strolling next to it and at one point kissing it. Well, after appearing with his captive bear friend at an event in San Diego last week, Cox is under investigation by the city's Humane Society. They say he may have violated a law that bars individuals from bringing into the city, quote, any lion, tiger, bear, monkey, wolf, cougar, ocelot, wildcat, skunk. Now, obviously, this is a law liberals created to keep John Cox and or Ace Ventura from winning elections. Also, in funny governor news, Politico reported over the weekend that Matthew McConaughey has been calling influential Texans to discuss his potential run against Governor Greg Abbott in 2022. 
this despite the fact that he has no known party affiliation, though he did once describe himself as a, quote, radical centrist, which, as we know, translates to a hardcore Republican who's also a celebrity. It's all about the bare necessities, Gideon. <laughs> Staying on the topic of Texas and also apex predators, a nine-month-old tiger <laughs> that was seen early last week on the streets of Houston has been found and brought to an animal sanctuary. Residents of a Houston neighborhood recorded the tiger facing off with an off-duty police officer. Then, the mystery deepened when a man named Victor Cuevas came out of his house, loaded the tiger into his Jeep, and drove away, presumably to go run for governor of California. <laughs> the tiger remained at large even after Cuevas was arrested days later on an unrelated murder charge. Unfortunately, he is not one of the good tiger kings. Then, on Saturday, the tiger was anonymously delivered to the police with the help of Victor Cuevas' wife. Details remain murky on whether the Cuevas family actually owns the tiger, but they did care for him since birth. So it's safe to say he'll remember them always, and one day we'll return to defend them against an even bigger, scarier animal, probably the bear <laughs> from California. In his new home at a Texas shelter, the tiger will quarantine for 30 days and then may be introduced to other tigers, maskless. Yeah, let him smile at his tiger friends. He deserves it after all of this. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. Join Crooked's political director, Shaniqua McClendon, today at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for an exciting virtual town hall with Senator Jeff Merkley and Senator Elizabeth Warren. They will discuss how they're fighting to end the filibuster and protect our democracy. To watch, go to facebook.com slash crookedmedia. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, leave a wild animal alone, and tell your friends to listen. And if you are in a reading and not just the nonfiction book Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey like me, <laughs> What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Abdul El Sayed. I'm Gideon Resnick. And, and good, good luck, luck with, with your, your roast dinners. dinners. Remember, Yorkshire. Yorkshire, not Yorkshire. It's also Leicester, not Leicester. These are all hard-earned pronunciations. Yeah, you've been through a lot to, to get here. And all to my friends in the UK, it's not Abdul, it's Abdul. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Charlotte Landis. Sonia Tun and Jazzy Marine are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producers are Leo Duran, Akila Hughes, and me. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador.